Amato's fifth quarter is partnered with the Inner Sanctum. The Inner Sanctum, founded in 2020, is the new ball game in sports journalism, which aims to take you behind the closed doors of sporting clubs around the country in an effort to tell the stories of those on the field. Visit the Inner Sanctum at www.theinnersanctum.com.au as well as following them on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. The Inner Sanctum, unique interviews, unique content for you. This is Travis Stokes. This is Greg Oddy. This is Carson Edwards. This is Brett Maher. This is Dale Pickett. This is Eugene Greenwich. This is Kevin Brooks. This is Jack Fitzpatrick. This is Dale McDonald. This is Sam Jacobs. This is Cal Brooks. This is Marcus Burris. This is Sean Redditch. This is Tony Spackenthal. This is Andrew Blahoff. This is Graham Corn. This is Brian Curl. This is Jason Ackermanis. This is Chris McDermott. This is Mike Ellis. This is Kevin Lich. This is Matt Smith. This is Michael Wilson. This is Brendan T. This is Jordan McMahon. And you're listening to Amato's fifth quarter. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 27 of Amato's Fifth Quarter Podcast. I'm your host, Dan, and for tonight's episode, we're going to welcome former AFL player from the Western Bulldogs and Richmond Football Clubs. It's Jordan McMahon who's going to join us tonight. He was, uh, or he is, uh, a native South Australian, was drafted by the Western Bulldogs in 2000 as a first-round draft pick. He played over 100 games for the Bulldogs, including playing in two finals before shifting across to Richmond in 2008, where he played three seasons at the club. Now, in his prime, he was uh, a very, very good player, an important member of both the Bulldogs and the Richmond's defense. Now, throughout his career from 2001 to 2010, he played 148 games, 46 goals, and he played two finals. We speak about many topics, including his junior career, where he played with and against the likes of Kane Corns, Alan Didak, Scott Thompson, and Hayden Skipworth. We talk about those early days at the Bulldogs, playing with some of the great players of the club, including Chris Grant, Scott West, Brad Johnson and Luke Darcy. We talk about those two finals he played in 2006, as well as going to Richmond in 2008 and playing with the great Matthew Richardson. And of course, yes, we do talk about that goal he scored after the siren to beat Melbourne and the sort of butterfly effect and how that kick possibly was the reason why Dustin Martin was drafted to the club. As well as that, we do talk about the 2010 season under Damien Hardwick, where he unfortunately didn't play a game and, and sort of the disappointing end of his career. So let's get into this episode from the Western Bulldogs and the Richmond Football Club with Jordan McMahon about to come on the ground. Jordan McMahon, and he's an excitement machine, and he's kicked the goal. 
four for Jordan McMahon. This is the biggest kick he's ever had, let alone the biggest kick ever for the Tigers. It's long. It's long! Welcome back to Amato's fifth quarter and today we're very lucky to be joined by a man who kicked one of the most famous goals in AFL history from the Western Bulldogs and the Richmond Football Club. We've got Jordan McMahon on. Thank you so much for coming on the show here tonight. Oh, thanks for having me, mate. It's been now just over a decade since your last AFL game. Can you give sort of the listeners a bit of an insight into how the last 10 or 11 years has gone for you and I guess what direction your life has taken since your, your AFL career came to an end? Well, thanks for reminding me. Ten years, it goes pretty quickly, mate. Yeah, it's, it's been quite some time. Look, it, it, a lot of people know, you know, I mean, if, if you don't venture into the football environment after, you don't stay within that, you know, the confines of, um, of AFL, you know, you've got to live a normal life. That's pretty much what I've been doing. I've obviously got my daughter, she lives me full time, and, um, yeah, been obviously making sure that we've been doing our bit to get by at high school, those sorts of things, and... Yeah, and, and with her sporting involvement as well. So life does take a drastic turn. And I'd say that all of a sudden you go from everything's about you to not one thing is about me anymore, which is great. It's really nice. Yeah, awesome. And and I ask that question because I understand you're in the real estate game now. Yep. Do, do you think it's it's important to have something outside of football? Yeah, you know, oh, look, I, yes and no. No, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I, I know it's very important for the clubs. I know they set a pretty high standard to wanting to get every player involved in some sort of higher education and, and, and development whilst they're playing football. I really do get that. But to be honest, when you're in the midst of trying to create your own career and doing what you need to do with AFL, your importance is, is solely on, on how you're playing and your performance and, and doing everything there. You know, And that's where I get to the idea that, it is, look, it is important. I do think so. If you're doing some degrees, law degrees, whatever you want to do, is important. But secondly, there's some things that I don't think players realise they pick up, which are vitally important, you know, that come getting a job in the real world. Like, I, I think there are some things that professional sport at the highest level for, for football will uh, will provide them with and uh, will actually help them out going forward after it. So, look, it, it's a very tough one. I think it is important, but I don't think it's, yeah, it, it's a be-all and end-all. I think, you know, a lot of people change their mind and don't even realise what they're going to do in life in a normal job until they're probably in their 30s. So I, I think it's important they continue something, but it's not the most important thing to make sure they you know, they have something to fall back of some sort. Because let's be honest, when you do finish, the world is your oyster. You have options, you have possibilities, and it's how you take advantage of them. That's a really interesting response. So do you think players ever go into different areas of life just because they feel that's what they need to do rather than doing something they actually want to do? Well, I mean, look, if you put it into perspective, like obviously what you're doing as well now with obviously the fifth quarter and, and a lot of people you probably meet, you know, a lot of them don't really know what they're doing probably until later in life. People will get a job or, or they'll do a university course. You know, funnily enough, they won't be in that same job 10 years later than what the course they did. It often happens they go in a different direction. So, you know, the same thing with football. You take up football, you play it for what, three, five, 10 years. Um, and then, you know, the direction in life can change. I mean, it is harder the longer you play into your 30s to football, and you do notice those guys have had those careers probably will stay in football. They will become coaches, some sort of, you know, a management role within the football department, and you can understand why, because they've probably reached past that uh, threshold. But I must admit, for even, even the younger guys, the things you pick up during football will help you and assist you in any job you get. That's something I've definitely uh, seen and am aware of. The traits that you can learn from, from uh, professional sport 
can actually lead you in the right direction. And that's just my opinion, though. That is just my opinion. There's probably a lot of different ones. So, yeah. No, that's a, a very interesting insight. Taking you back to the start, so you, of course, just like myself, born and bred in South Australia, and could you maybe give the listeners some insights into your upbringing, family life, and also when you started playing football? Yeah, look, I won't give you too much. You'll probably try and hack my account. (laughs) (laughs) What's your mother's maiden name? Where where was your first house, your first car? Joking, joking. I've seen this. Um, uh, Look, uh, look, I was born and bred in in Adelaide, 100%. Obviously, with football and how you get drafted, it wasn't through, say, a club level or, or an SNFL. It was more to do with school football. School football, you know, is, is quite large in in South Australia. That you know, that if you you, you know, if you're playing at a decent level at, at high school, and they will be out there watching the scouts. That's where they do come to look. Not just you know the under 18s at Glenelg, you know, versus West Adelaide or things like that. They'll be also looking at the school footy. So I just majority of my time was playing school football. Emmanuel College, and obviously at the time, Emmanuel were very, very good. We were beating Sacred Heart during the year, then they'd knock us up in the semi-final at the end of the year. So it was, we're in those, that, look, if it gives me this understanding for football-wise as well, that um, the year I was in year 12 playing football, though, Alan Didak was with Blackfriars, Tane Corns was with uh, Sacred Heart, Scott Thompson and Matthew Lothan was at Michael's College. So we had a re- there was a really strong rivalry between the you know, the, the schools uh, within football and and Hayden Skipworth was actually playing for Henley High at that time as well. So you know they were all drafted at that time. They ended up playing you know quite long careers in the AFL. So look, that's that where you come from in respect to football and where you get drafted and how it works. But yeah, mate, I'm just so uh, my first job here. I obviously packed up stumps at 17 to obviously go to Melbourne when it all changed. Yeah, because I've been doing a little bit of research and, and I wasn't sure whether it was you played with or against the likes of Kane Corns and, and Hayden Skipworth, Scott Thompson, Alan Didak. So, yeah. so what was it like to come against those guys and were they as good back then as what they ended up being in the AFL? Oh, well, I will tell you that Alan Didak was always as talented as you see out there. Yeah, always just a, a, yeah, just a very crafty player and obviously took it to the next level like you wouldn't believe. So to me, him and Scott Thompson, Scott Thompson was probably the best junior I played with. Or no, again against as well. Just left foot, right foot was and was a beast. Built obviously he finished his career and he was still built very well. He was nearly built like that as a junior uh, earlier on. So That's he was pretty solid. Un- un- unlike me, who was uh, having to run around in the shower just to, to before I get weight, <laughs> so I looked like I actually had some weight on me. Um, but yeah, it was uh, you know it was one of those that was a really good competition. There were some you know the players they were probably the top two at the time. It's got Thompson. Well, Kane Corns is just one of those guys who always found the footy. And could run all day, and had a, and had certain characteristics that would set him up for the rest of his career. Which you know he did a lot of tagging, you know played really well in that sort of position, and and ran opposition into the ground. Whereas you know Didak was just too skillful for the, pretty much the opposition. So look, it was it was a really good competition. And how was it playing with it? We actually sort of grew up together. A lot of us playing in a lot of representative state sides together, and very fortunate that we all kind of actually made the All Australian side, and it all travelled to you know, to, to Ireland as well over there. So we all have got, you know, we all kind of knew each other really well in that instance. You know, I think you do if you're, you're making all the representative sides in the state, you'll end up meeting each other and, and you play against each other, mind you, but you'll end up knowing, you know, quite personally how each other are and what they do. And yeah, so you, and then all of a sudden you're drafted the same year together, which is, which is kind of good. Yeah, and that brings us into the next topic because, I mean, you played for Glenelg in the, in the SANFL, but then you were drafted. How did the Bulldogs come about? You were taken at pick number 10 in the 2000 draft. Yeah. Did you yeah. have any inclination at the time the club was interested in you? Probably not. It wasn't then. So getting, getting a step back, and I did mention before about playing the All-Australian team against Ireland, 
they actually have a, a program where you, you have all the camps prior and of the, the you know the 20 or 30 man 30 man squad it might have been two players go each of, of, the, of our squad and you'll go to an AFL club for a week so we were uh, funnily enough I went to Carlton with Alan Dyke we're 16 16 it would have been and we trained a week with Carlton just to get an idea at the time and I don't know where the others went and we obviously get billeted out just for a week just to get an idea take because obviously they have an idea that you'll end up going you possibly might make AFL the next year well at the end of the uh, the week, the Friday, just prior, you know, we'd be training with them, a few bits and pieces and getting to know what it's like. And they turn around, they must have had a seconds game going on. And they turn around and said, look, we're short of a few numbers. Do you guys want to play? Me and Alex, we, like, we didn't even take mouse guards over. We took our footy boots. We didn't think we were playing matches or anything. We're like, hell yeah, we'll do play this. And they fitted us for mouse guards at, at, at two days leading in and got us, the, uh, um, got us ready. And I can tell you, we played Collingwood. The Collingwood twos that day, there were you know the reserve. It was a preseason sort of match, and um, mate, I can tell you that's why Dodak's so good. And, and having it through, he absolutely killed him. We both played for Carlton. He tore him apart at the age of sixteen um, in, in that game. He would have kicked two goals and look had twenty touches as a, like a you know, just a sixteen year old, you know, filling up the numbers. That's and unbelievable. Fortunately for me, yeah, fortunately for me, it was very similar. I had a really good game as well, and we're just filling in. And um, obviously against new draftees players have been playing there for a while and, and, and so forth and <clears throat> lo and behold have a guess where Alan Dyer got picked up at number three by uh, by Collingwood so it left it to me I thought I was getting picked up by Carlton I did that was where I thought I was going and uh, Carlton had picked number 11 and just so happens the Bulldogs went one earlier and got me a number 10 which is you know fantastic so I was a bit shocked and uh, it was great so that first season at the Bulldogs, you, you were coached by Terry Wallace and you had players like Brad Johnson and Rowan Smith and Chris Grant, Paul Hudson, Jose Romero, Tony Libertore, really got got yeah, Luke Darcy, yeah, yeah. all these players. Yep. Some greats of the club, a, a lot of senior experience. Was that intimidating or exciting or a combination of both? Well, isn't it funny? Being from Adelaide in, in, in the 97 and 98 final series, Oh, yeah. who we knocked out and you remember seeing them on TV they like to live a kick that ball over the point post we thought it was a point oh. he thought it was a goal so quite funny so I, you know, I love football and I obviously watched it as well but you know funny going into that environment and, and me trying to bring it up in depth and I don't think they found it that funny <laughs> when you talk about but you it was, brought it, it up it was oh of course I did oh <laughs> no <laughs> yeah yeah no, but they don't mind they didn't mind look they don't it, it's quite funny those some of the greatest players that I, look, I believe I've played with, and I, you know, uh, you know, the Chris Grant, um, Brad Johnson, and, and I will actually say Matthew Richardson are actually not that. You know, you might not perceive them to be who they are. They are terrific, just human beings off off the footy field as well. Really good people. You know, humble. It's quite funny that the top echelon, the real top echelon of AFL players, well, that I've come across, are really good people as well. So, you know, I mean, that that was, you know, I won't forget all the rest of them, but, you know, we're playing with Scott West, played 307 best and fairest, Roland Smith, Brad Johnson, all 300 gamers, Luke Dark. It was, it was a really talented Bulldog side. It's just that, um, yeah, they, they were on the tail end of their, their careers when I started. As we're talking about that first season, 2001, you played just the four games that year, but you ended the season with a 15-possession, three-goal game against Melbourne. Was that possibly the game when you realised you really were good enough to compete at the highest level? Ward did well, did very well. The call out the back, though, was exciting. This is James Jordan McMahon, and he's an excitement machine, and he's kicked the goal. Jordan McMahon. 
McMahon gets his first goal in senior football. Oh, well done by Darcy. Gives off to Gian Syracuse. You're going to have to be quick. He is. He gives it away quickly to McMahon. He shoots oh. the goal. And he's kicked another one. Jordan McMahon has two. Well, young Jordan McMahon. Tony Shaw can't speak highly enough of this kid, and I'm starting to see why. He's, uh, he's poised in the traffic there. He was caught. Gian Syracuse was just pulled up and... He followed up very well, McMahon. This kid uh, has got a bit of a package, hasn't he, Tony? He's got plenty. I said he might be a superstar. I don't want to put too much pressure on him, but he has got all the talent as Jordan McMahon goes for goal and kicks it. He's got three goals. And we have just witnessed, it's a timely question you ask, Shory, because we've witnessed the future of the Bulldogs footy yep. club there. Gene Syracuse takes possession, looks to centre, and he finds his uh, partner in crime, Jordan McMahon, who has a presence of mind to play on. Jeez, now you're really winding the clock back. Good on you. This would be 20 years ago. That's research. Um, I'll do yeah, my research. You have, haven't you, mate? That's a spot on. But no, look, and this is sounding arrogant, but I genuinely, in my heart of heart, I thought I could. You know, um, I, I think in the first game I played against Port Adelaide, oh, I did feel out of it. You know, I was just a very fast game. I played my first ever AFL game was in Adelaide, in fact. Um, they, they put me out, you know, for the team selection and against Adelaide, Port Adelaide over here in Adelaide. So it was... That was a bit difficult, but yeah, it was one of those, I knew I was young and I knew I was obviously hoping to put on some more weight, that I, I, I'd sort of fit the mould, that I'd be okay. Um, but you know what? You know, when you kick three goals in an AFL game, yeah, you probably feel like you are. Yeah, I, I, I want to hope that was it. You know, I think from memory, the coaches definitely give you more respect the next year come the pre-season. You're not, you know, you're not treated as this young rookie who's never played before, who, you know, your first pre-season. There's probably a little bit more respect to say, yeah, okay. You can play. You've played all right. So, yeah, I guess it's earning your stripes more so. Not It's not self-belief. It's just more you feel like you may have earned your stripes more that, yes, the others now can believe in you as well. All right, everyone. It's time for a quick quarter-time break here on A5Q. Recently, I've become an ambassador of Pete and Pedro, the kings of men's hair and beard grooming. The days of the caveman are now over, gentlemen. We all need to keep on top of our hygiene, cleanliness, and style too. Unfortunately... Most chemist store products do not achieve this efficiently. So if you want high quality results, you're going to have to go for high quality products. Pete and Pedro, established in 2013, offers premium hair, beard and grooming products and tools for any well-groomed man. These products are actually going to get in there, moisturize, rehydrate and clean your scalp, hair and beard thoroughly without putting a hole in your wallet. From shampoos and conditioners to hair gels and putties, beard oils, brushes, combs, and even nail clippers. Pete and Pedro has it all. Now, I would never promote a brand I did not use or trust. Guys, I've been using Pete and Pedro products for the past two years and can confidently say there are no better hair and beard products on the market. Gentlemen, if you are looking to take your hair game to that next level without breaking the bank, you've got to check out Pete and Pedro. And if you use my special discount code, DMATO10, spelt D-A-M-A-T-O-1-0, you're going to get 10% off your purchase for a limited time only, so get in quick. The link to Pete and Pedro is down in the description below. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get back to the show. One thing I've been keen to ask you, and I guess a short snippet of the Western Bulldogs history that you really barely ever hear about is the Peter Road era. Now, he uh, took over from Terry Wallace when... Uh, he resigned and eventually was given the full-time job. In 2003, mm. the club finished bottom, and then 2004, you were just marginally better. And he was sacked mm. after only two and a bit years. 
what, what was your take on Peter Roden and, and how did you see him as a coach? Because it rarely ever gets spoken about. Uh, look, he was probably the perfect fit to, to walk into Terry Wallace. I, you know, I do think the club was struggling financially too. So they couldn't really go out there and pay for another top echelon coach. Peter Rode understood the players. Funnily enough, he was more doing the fitness side of it and, and the development side of, you know, the managing the teams as well. That that he was an ideal probably, you know, prospect to stand in and fill in. Probably, I think when he first came in, we might have won the next couple of games, which probably said at the scene that he was going to be kept on. Really difficult one. I think there's more the reasons behind him being coached, and probably just simply was he the best coach. Well. Maybe not in, in the wider market. Maybe it was a financial reason or the reason we we're starting to, we're a completely developing side, a new side. You know, we were actually getting younger with all Gene Syracuse's, Murphy's, you know, Hargrave, Gilby's, all those players were a very young core that maybe it was time that, you know, it was a new coach, but he was still newer rather than an old school coach step in. Um, I don't know. Peter Rode, look, lovely guy. Really, really good guy. Heart and soul was in it. It's just that we weren't very successful at the time. And, you know, I, I think his managerial roles probably at, at AFL clubs might have been best suited for him at that time. But look, I had no issue with him coach. I don't think I could have made a judgment that early in my career as to comparing him to others or doing others. When you look back, you go, maybe, you know, it would have been better. But the club had reasons for it. I would have. My biggest thing probably was, it was I think financially the club was struggling. I don't think they could afford to pay a full-time coach, you know, a top echelon coach to come in and, you know, coach, you know, however many dollars a year. So, yeah, I look, I've... Tough one, mate. It's one of those that go, right, we were probably battling at the time. The club was just battling to keep afloat, really. Yeah, because, I mean, of course, the Bulldogs are along with, let's say, St Kilda and then probably North Melbourne as well, are the smaller of the, the Melbourne teams. Yeah. You know, they, they don't have yeah. the financial backing of a Collingwood or a Carlton or a Richmond. Yeah, yeah. Mate, they, don't, they don't have the, the high-end, yeah, supporter space. You know where you can get memberships and sponsorship dollars at the drop of a hat. I think that they're a bit of a yeah, they're, they're the blue collar club. You know the working class club. You know it's quite funny that Melbourne played the Western Bulldogs in the grand final, and I looked at um, one of the memes on Facebook, and it was quite funny. I, I looked at it and said, uh, "This weekend's grand final is in essence landlords versus the tenants. It's the, kind the of two fitting. clubs, not a good laugh." Yeah, correct. And I was like, "Well, you're right, Melbourne is." No, there's a lot more money behind that. The Bulldogs are, are, are a working-class club. It's always been seen like that. I mean, they are, you know, obviously they're, they're far better now in a financial position, but it's like, this has just been seen like that. Their, their facilities weren't, you know, the early 2000s, mate, they were nothing compared to any other club. And I saw some other clubs, but they do what they needed to get by, and it was just, just what you do. But I think, yeah, it's just, it's just seen that way, that they're, they're very much a working-class club. And, yeah, mate, got to admit, my... It might be one of the questions down the track, but my heart is definitely with the Bulldogs, 100%. If you ask which club, obviously the majority of my time was with them. But definitely, yeah, there's far more affinity with the Western Bulldogs than there would be, um, obviously, with Richmond. Yeah, that's interesting. Is that just because you played more games for the Bulldogs, or is that like, is there any other reason? No, no. Look, seven years with the Bulldogs. I mean, I grew up. I was 17, drafted. To 24, so or 20, was that 24? I reckon it would have been close to, and then go to Richmond after that for three years. So your whole growth has been with the Western Bulldogs. You know, you've developed yourself into a to an adult and and into a person. You know, you've learnt your craft there, and and they've they've grown you. So, you know, I went to Richmond towards the end of it, and look, enjoyed my time. I must admit, when I first left Richmond, I would have supported Richmond because all my mates were still there. They were still playing. I played with those guys for three years. I supported them. As soon as they started to all retire, 
you know, there was no affinity, you know, affiliation towards Richmond, apart from my daughter being an absolute mad fanatical Richmond supporter, which, you know, good on her, whatever. <laughs> so, yeah. she gets can remember is me with Richmond. But, um, yeah, I've, I've obviously, yeah, as soon as that sort of tailed off all those players and they retired, yeah, it was just, it was just basic club to club. I was 100% behind the Bulldogs. That, is, that was where I felt my heart was. Fair answer, definitely. And now as we're talking, we're continuing to talk about the Bulldogs. So another season I've been keen to talk to you about is 2006. Now, I would I would assume that that is a season that sticks out in your memory because uh, you played every game that year, 24 out of 24, and the Bulldogs finished eight. Now, this was your one and only season in your career where you were a part of a final series. You played in those two finals. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me, mate, yeah. <laughs> now, <laughs> elimination final against Collingwood and also the semi-final against the Eagles. Can you talk to us about finals football and the intensity of it compared to a home and away season? Game. The Bulldogs by 41. The fairy tale team of 2006 he is not there. Lack of yet. composure, they just shot down a lot of those Bulldogs. And the kick was from Hargrave. Brawl legs. And the Eagles will take on Adelaide next week in the preliminary final at Amy Stadium after absolutely cowling up the Western Bulldogs. I have to say this first. You do watch players win the win the premiership, and in a, and a, and the feeling and the emotion that you see that's raw on their face, you do get jealous. You're like, damn it, I, I would love to have that feeling. You know, you, you play for it. You literally play to win the premiership, and when you see that raw emotion on their face, you can just feel that that's something that you, you know you're hoping you would ever get close to. If you'd ever won one, like myself, I never ever won one. So I must admit. They're running out in front of his 84,000 people that day against Collingwood. Um, it was special. It was quite funny. Gia, Gene Syracuse, afterwards turned to me. He goes, oh, after the game, he goes, yeah, you ran out the ground. And I was like, and he goes, I remember you said, I couldn't remember the time. He goes, you just, yeah, and looked around. He goes, this is what it's all about. I, and I just, it just felt a little tingle when you run out in front of that many uh, supporters in a final. It's fantastic. So, look, it was great. We won that game. Huge. Then went over to Perth to play the Eagles, who won the flag that year. And I think we only lost by five or six goals that game. So it wasn't a blowout. We just weren't good enough over there, uh, you know, playing against Cousins, Judd, Kerr. They were just too good for us, man. They were way too good. So in your 10 seasons in the AFL, you played 148 games across the two clubs, but it only produced the two finals. Do you feel, and you spoke about that, watching other players win a premiership and how you you wanted to experience that. Do you feel disappointed in not being part of more on-field success? Oh, no, no, not at all. No, no, I'm not disappointed. No, well, I got, well, what can you be disappointed about? The fact that, you know, at the end of the day, I still gave everything I could. The players around me in the club probably did everything as well. We were, we were either just outmatched or we, you know, we weren't good enough. And that's just unfortunate. You know, I mean, you don't have the, the, the cattle or, or, or the, the, the pieces around you to be able to make it. There's nothing you can, I can change from here. So, no, I'm not disappointed. Um... No, there's no regret with it either. It's just to say that, you know, I'm, I'm jealous the fact that those guys get to do it and congratulations to them. You know, you have to put a lot of hard work in and, and if you do it and you get it, it is great. I, you know, I, I don't, I, it's, it's probably a good thing I don't have any of those, you know, regrets or disappointments, you know, that I turn around and go, wow, you know, I wish we had a certain amount more players to play with, you know, that period. I was at the Bulldogs during some pretty tough times early on. They obviously picked up 0607. Look, and I'm, Albeit I left the club, and just a matter of me at that time that they they end up having quite amount a, a large amount of success. You know, I'd say in the late 2010s, in in, in early uh, teens, I guess they had a couple 
then they dropped off and obviously won the flag in 15. So kudos to them. I think yeah, it was. It was just a moment in time. I, you know, I couldn't change it at all. No. So and and you've mentioned that you know the Bulldogs are your club. So what was I guess your emotion like when the Bulldogs did win the premiership in 2016? What was that like for you? He misses, but they don't miss out. Their day, their year, their joy. Oh mate, like I was, I was, I didn't fly over to the grand, that grand final. Obviously, I went over the Perth one, so I missed the actual, <laughs> the winning one. Anyway, um, it was. I was just at, uh, went out and obviously with a big group of friends who were watching the game live, you know, and it was really, it was. I was almost overtaken with emotion. I was really, really happy. Like it was, it was a really nice moment uh, to experience that because I, I was there when the club was really down and out. It was tough, and it was, and for them to see them at the top. And, and win, you know, it was actually a really joyous moment to go, right, that's fantastic. You know, there's no, there was absolutely not one ounce of regret to say, oh, I wish I'd played in the team, you know, 10 years later would have been great. It wasn't even that feeling at all. It was just a really happy feeling for them to win, which is, which is nice. I, and I must admit, that's probably every Bulldog supporter out there was feeling that too after, you know, 50 to 60 years worth of uh, bleakness of not winning a flag. Yeah, that's awesome. No, that's a really good answer. So at the end of 2007, you shift across to Richmond and you reunite with Terry Wallace. Was that your call to move on? And was Terry Wallace the reason you ended up being a Tiger? No, no, not at all. No, no. Um, I just remember that was contract time. And, and Lindsay, look, Lindsay Gilby was a halfback, running halfback, and um, very similar to me. Very similar. We both, you know, obviously ran, bounced, kicked the ball, metres game sort of thing. You know, <laughs> may not have been the defensive, you know, Beasts that you might get with other, so there was really it was a position maybe focused, but more more so one. And look, I felt maybe I might have been best suited somewhere else. And I explored the opportunity and said, look, they they only offer two years, and other clubs are offering me three. So I explored that opportunity. There's more security in three years. Port was one of them, and Richmond was the other. So it came down to uh, to coming back to Adelaide or or playing with Richmond. And um, look, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but I wouldn't change it for. The world, but um, yeah, I end up going going with Richmond, and um, I think we might have finished ninth that year as well. <laughs> so you could have gone to Port Adelaide. Yeah, I came to it. Yeah, to Port Adelaide. You didn't. Yeah, you, didn't you didn't want to go no. back home. No, no, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to come home. No, no, it was it was it was really interesting. It was a really difficult decision, but I just wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to leave Melbourne. I loved Melbourne at that time. I, I found a really nice niche, really good friends, family friends. I really had a really good. Spot there, and obviously, when the t- time wasn't quite right at that time to come back, but obviously, three years later, it was it was the right time. So yeah, I made, made the, the trek back, and yeah, I've been here ever since. Yeah, fair cool. So we we mentioned two thousand eight was was your first season at the Tigers, and it was for you personally really great season. You played every game, and you finished in the top ten of the best and fairest. But as the Tigers so often did in two thousands, you only just missed the finals, and you finished ninth. Yeah. I, I know you were only there for two seasons, but it seemed. Like, it just seemed like the Tigers were almost a cursed club because if you look at that squad, very good squad. Yourself, Matthew Richardson, Kane Johnson, uh, Brett Deledio, Nathan Brown, Chris Newman, Troy Simmons. It, it, a really good team, yeah. but you just had that odd game where you'd lose by a small margin or you just have those lapses in concentration or whatever it is. Was that a yeah. mental or a psychological battle that was holding the club back? Because you look back and that team really should have at least made a couple of final series. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Look, especially when you got Richo on your side, mate. He was an absolute monster. He was, you know, running on the wing. He ended up playing on the wing at some point and nearly winning the Brownlow. Yeah, so, I mean, everyone, everyone wanted him to win it. Absolutely. So, look, it was one of those that, you know, it was, it was disappointing. But, I mean, once again, you look back on it and go, well, it would have been nice to make finals. I know we were probably pushing as hard as we could to make the finals. It just didn't happen. Yeah, look, it, yeah, at the time, I'm, I reckon we were devastated. We're like, we, you know, really probably, we felt we should have been in the, in the league of finals again. And you look at it, you know, all you need to do is make the finals. You look at what the Bulldogs did in 16. All you need to do is make the finals and you're a chance. I mean, they, they nearly did it from fifth uh, this year as well. So, sort of said something that I know the, the mold's been broken, but all you need to do, you need to be in it to win it and you never just quite were. Just missed the boat. Yeah, anyway, so that's, that's life, mate. <laughs> I think they were cursed to be nice. I think that's finished nice quite often. So, Do you think there is a reason or do you just think it just... It just didn't happen. Look, it's that's because I, 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 the lines for me are blurred. I don't know. I'm not sure. I can't remember. At this time, I can't remember the last few games and how close we were. What what caused us not to either win those games or, or, or did we crumble under pressure, knowing that this, our, our position in the top eight was under threat? I don't remember that, unfortunately. I just remember sitting around watching a game. I reckon it was on the line that if, if, if some team won, we're in the finals. If they lost, we're out. And we're all just sitting around watching a footy game, praying. I think it was either Essen or Melbourne would win one of the games at the end of the season. And they, they didn't. It didn't happen in our favour. So, yeah. First, the first and last time you end up whilst playing AFL, barracking to another side. Yeah. Heavily barracking yeah, to right. one side. So. Mm. Referee says, fellas, take a break. It's half time. Hey, everyone. I just want to say a very big thank you to those who have engaged with A5Q. I really do appreciate all the support. I trust you're enjoying delving into all things Australian sport, and hopefully you will continue to stick around. It would be a massive help if you could please do me a solid. Subscribe to the podcast and hit me up with a rating and a review. Gaining as much positive feedback as possible helps boost my visibility and it allows the podcast to be seen by other Australian sports tragics out there. Now, enough of that. Let's get back into it because the second half of A5Q is about to get underway. So what about Terry Wallace? Because you spent a lot of time with, with uh, Plough. What was your relationship like with him? I was good. Oh, I got along really well with him. Um, he understood how I played and what I, what I, what I should do, how I do it. So he knew me from quite a young age. So look, he, he, he's a very, very good uh, tactical coach. Very good. He, he understands the game, and maybe towards the end of his tenure, he was getting a little bit tired with it. Just happens. So then, but I, but I must admit, the two best coaches that I've played, obviously, played with were Rodney Eden and Terry Wallace. Are fantastic. Rodney Eden was very good as well. Very, very straightforward, and could give really good abuse to you. <laughs> Halftime spray. Yeah, um, I, I gather but that. He was, he was very good with individuals. He could get the best out of them as well. He knew where, you know, to put them as well, where to place them, you know, to get the best out of them. And obviously help the team as well. Also, maybe Terry Wallace was better tactically with teams and had matching up against oppositions. He was very clever like that. But obviously, oh, I think Rocket Eagle was just genuinely a very smart coach as well. So yeah, I mean, they both had really successful, quite successful careers. So yeah, they were both good coaches. But yeah, nothing, nothing against Terry Wallace at all. He was he was actually quite exceptional in what he did. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And 2009 was his last season as coach or the mm. first half anyway, uh, that was a really interesting year because it was the season when Ben Cousins came to the club. Now, I mean, his uh, his off-field history is, is very well documented, but the club took a, a big gamble to get him to the club. 
Now, it mm. seemed, mm. To, to me as an outsider, it seemed that he did nothing but positive things there at Richmond, and it was a great move from the club and by him. Now, he didn't play finals, yeah. he didn't win premierships, but it seemed like he was able to redeem himself as a footballer, and the club benefited mm. from having him there. What was it like to yeah. share a locker room with Ben Cousins? And did, did you have much of a, of a personal relationship with him at his time there? First, Richmond's resurrection of Ben Cousins' career. The club doing a backflip with a last-minute selection in the pre-season draft. But the Tigers acknowledge they've taken a huge risk on the recovering drug addict. The Tigers turned on their tails this morning to recruit Ben Cousins, but the former stars taking his new Richmond role in stride. Heading to Melbourne this afternoon, his sister by his side, even some airport staff were in awe. Hours earlier, Richmond had made the call to take the recovering drug addict, possibly the club's biggest gamble. There was no doubt some risks involved. Uh, we still made the decision to choose him. To be honest, he's very quiet. No, I, I wouldn't say I had a personal relationship with him. I just remember coming to the trainings just before he was, given the second go by Richmond. and. Mate, there was helicopters flying around the Oval. Like the, the media was packed out there waiting to see if they yeah. could see him. Like it was just, if he was around, it was just one of those where it was, yeah, it, it, was, a, it was a big circus. That's unreal. It was, yeah, it was, it was something like I've never seen, the amount of attention you know, we got then at the club. But the guy is an absolute, I keep referring to like a beast when it came to match day, that he was able to grow a, uh, you know, an extra leg. Like the guy... On match day, he would train hard and, and behind closed doors a bit extra and whatever, but, you know, he'd do, he'd just make sure he's got his body right. But come game day, he was just an, uh, another another person. He was phenomenal. And I think he did set a good example for the real young kids playing. This is, you know, the expectations. When you come out and play across that white line, um, you've got to really turn it on. No matter whether it's good, bad or in between or the pressure that's on you, you've got to play. No matter, yeah, what condition you're in, you've got to turn it on. So, look... He was probably really good for the club in that instance. I think he brought a good culture, albeit, you know, history and baggage, but he brought a really good culture too and work ethic to, to the younger players, I think. So you definitely think his two seasons at Richmond definitely benefited the club? Oh, yeah, without a doubt, his experience. Yeah, he's experienced. You know, I think he was there when, you know, when Justin Martin was first, first there in, in, in 2010. So you can only think that, you know, that he rubbed off slightly on, oh, we would hope so, on on Dustin sort of coming sort of the player he is as well. I don't know. I, I don't know for a fact. I don't know that. But, you know, you can only make assumptions on the fact that there is some very talented players. Trent Cochin was very young at the time when he was around. And look at those two players. You know, Jack Rewalt was really young. All those players became absolute elite players um, later on. And I don't know if that was an impact. You know, it could have been other external pieces as well. But, you know, you, you like to think that maybe it did have a slight positive impact as well. Rather than any negative, I don't think it had any. You know, there wasn't really any negative impact at all. Yeah, great. And that's interesting how you say there were there were helicopters around in the media. Did you, as as players, how did you take that when there was so much media around him? Did it distract you from what you had to do, or did you just get on with it? Yeah, it was too too early in preseason. Mate. I reckon that was. I reckon it wasn't. It wasn't during the season at all. It wasn't distracted at all. It's about getting me into the new season. So. I reckon it was either just training, whatever. No, it was actually probably a nice distraction, you know, rather rock up at training, same old, same old, all of a sudden there's helicopters flying around, like, ooh, what's this? Some, like when everyone different. drives past a, cr a crash on the road, everyone can't help themselves, but look, you're like, ooh, what's going on here? This is my normal route to work, what's happened? You know, I mean, it's not great to see or great to happen, but it's just there. And it's just a bit of a bit of a change up. So that's just, that was more what it was, was about. Yeah, interesting analogy. So 2009 as a, 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 as a whole, 
that was one year that was expected to be the year. So you had 08 where you just missed the finals. It seemed like the excuses mm. were out the window. The Tigers were ready. Mm. And add Ben Cousins mm. to the mix, you were going to play finals. Round one against mm. Carlton was a disaster. And then the season just unfortunately mm. never got going. What mm. what happened? It's oh, never just one coach. It's never just one thing. You know, there's, a, there's a whole football department. There's a whole football team. That's, that's there. I, you know, I, I laugh at the fact that when, when teams are pretty swift to sack a coach, um, it, it, how how difficult it is to pinpoint it that it's a coach during in the box making this, you know that split decision that lost in the game. Is it that reason? I, you know, I think it's a very reactive reason to, to, to fire a coach. And it's, you know, you look at what they did with um, you know Simon Goodwin. You know, Melbourne stuck by him, and, and, and all of a sudden, you know, he's won him a flag. It's, it's I think that season ended up being that it did maybe unravel. I, I think maybe we all fell into the trap that we believed it was going to be a better year and we just weren't up to it. Maybe we took things for granted that it was an expectation that we were going to be in finals. And then, like every year, every team gets better. You know, you know, unless you get better in certain areas, they're going to leapfrog you. And obviously, Carlton round one did that pretty, pretty, pretty convincingly. And yeah, it might have set us on the back foot. It might have been a bit of a bit a bit of pill to swallow, but yeah, I, I, I look. I, from my memory side of, I couldn't give you the reasons exactly why. I just, you know, there, there's obviously understandings that there, there are more pieces to every puzzle that can that can cause a problem. So it's not, yeah, it's not just the fact that one loss or or one coach or one play it can be the whole environment or team or you know, there's just more more than that. Before we get into the final stretch of this incredible chat. We need to take a final break for three-quarter time here on A5Q. Now, as I'm sure you're all aware, I love podcasting. It really is an enjoyable ride and a chance for me to share my passion to the world. So why don't you do the same? Whether it be a sports podcast like mine, a comedy podcast, an educational podcast, a movie, TV show, or gaming podcast, or even if you just want to get a few friends together for a weekly chat, it doesn't matter what your podcast is about. What matters is setting it up through Podbean. Podbean is the best and most certainly the easiest way to start a podcast. And the best part of it is it doesn't cost you an arm and a leg. If you hit up my special link at www.podbean.com slash A5Q, you'll have the choice of starting your brand new podcast for as little as $9 per month on an annual plan. Now that is an unbelievable price considering you'll get unlimited storage, beautiful podcast themes, you'll be able to map your own domain, comprehensive podcast stats and podcast monetization. Now, guys, I tried to set up my podcast with a few other websites and just couldn't work it out. It was way too complicated, but Podbean was just so simple, so easy to use, and it produced the results for me. So definitely, if you've been thinking about starting your own podcast, but you've got no idea how to go about it, visit www.podbean.com slash A5Q and get started with Podbean today to join the Pod family. Or if it's easier, the link will be in the description below. But in the meantime, let's get back to the show. 2009 did have one golden moment, of course, and this is one moment in your career that I've been very excited to ask you about. It's the famous Melbourne game at the MCG. I'm sure you've, you've spoken about this many times. You're two points down deep in the last quarter. Basically, as the siren's going, you take a chess mark around the 50-metre line and you've got the opportunity to win the game. Firstly, when you, when you hear the siren and you know that you've got the kick that can win the game. What goes through your head as you're walking back to take the shot? Good. Got Got the the seconds continue to roll. We're down to four. White hands it up. 
Now my daughter's, you know, 15 and, and 16 and she's a Richard supporter, so she keeps hearing about it because it's quite funny. It was the kick, Dean Bailey it was called the tanking game. Now it was the kick you got Dustin Martin, the yeah, club that's yeah, been brought up quite exactly. often. It yeah, hasn't fallen game. away. And, and my, my daughter just keeps getting reminded of it. So she laughs at it. She keeps asking me. So, yeah, we do, you know, about it. Look, for starters, I must admit any kid who plays football growing up in the backyard, the street, with goals down the park, whatever, you dream of, like, I did that all the time. I, I might have the ball in my hand and go, ah, oh, siren's gone as a kid. And I've got to kick this to win the game. You know what I mean? I, I used to always do, always do that with a set of trees and I'd be snapping it around the corner. Yeah, I've won. And it's really, really bizarre. Like, you have the opportunity to actually fulfill a, a childhood dream that you go, right, I've you know, never even would have assumed or presumed it, it had happened, let alone on the MCG, to win an AFL game. Do you want to know the truth when you mark when I marked the ball? I can say I shit myself. I was like, oh my god, I've just missed two goals pretty easily during the game. This I can remember. I I missed two very. I ran to open goal about thirty five out and missed it, and I was on the boundary side one, and I and I, I missed that as well. So I missed two goals. I'd marked it, and yeah, it's, yeah, it's really hard to explain. This is a really hard thing to explain to somebody that I knew that I, I was going to struggle to kick that if I kept thinking about it. So it was. <sighs> At training, we used to train at Vic Park because Pump Road was being done up. And I would, you'd always, at, you know, training, running out of cones, you'd bombing them from 50 at one end. You know, just be bombing and even before training, after training. And you'd be nailing them, you know, 9 out of 10 every time. It'd just be easy because there's no pressure. So I, I made it, must have visualised something and said to myself, I, I have to imagine I'm at a Vic Park again. If I don't, you know, I know I know I can get a Vic Park. I was like, beautiful. So I just uh, made out I was in, in Vic Park and, that's it's sounding silly with you saying this, but I, I don't know if you've ever seen those movies called Friday Night Lights where they do stupid things and, like, you know, the, the quarterback's got the ball or yes, whatever yes. and, you know, you can hear his own heart beating and, 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 and there's no noise around him. It's all muffled. Well, I kid you not, it really felt like that. I don't know whether you personally take yourself out of the situation, but I just remember doing that and I couldn't hear a thing around me. I just know there were people yelling at me and doing whatever because I saw the replay and, and I was like, I didn't even know they were there. I couldn't hear them, didn't even notice they were there because... I don't know, you're in the little zone and yeah, but the second the second it leaves your boot, you know, everything sort of opens up all of a sudden, the noise just comes back on again and yeah, in, in your head and yeah, so it was, it was one of those moments, yeah, I was very fortunate to be put in a position to do that and bang, oh, I kicked it, <laughs> thank goodness, yeah. It was, a, it was a beautiful straight long kick and sailed through, your reaction was great, so you say... It, it was relief, it yeah, was relief, yeah, when, I'm when, telling you, it was relief. When when you kick the goal and you see that it, you said that everything opens up again, what's it like when yeah. when all the players come and jump on you and you know, yep, you've kicked it, you've won the game. What's what's that like? So what a kick this is! Game one hundred and forty-four for Jordan McMahon. This is the biggest kick he's ever had, let alone the biggest kick ever for the Tigers. It's long. It's long. Oh. Everywhere. 
They might be 12 on the ladder, but pride in the jumper means more than the four points. Have a look at the Melbourne players. Well, that's the thing. And you see, you see the Richmond players just up and about, absolutely pumped. And the Melbourne team are absolutely deflated. They've come from nowhere to work their way back into the game. No rotations on the interchange bench. But Jordan McMahon, your dream of that one as a kid, just go back after the siren and have to slot it through. And he did. He had to kick the goal. He kicked it. How was that? Four seconds to go. You take a mark. And then you go back and slot it. Unbelievable feeling. Well, considering I've missed two pretty easy ones early on, mate, uh, I was pretty happy that one to sail through, mate. It's a kid's dream to kick a goal off the siren and after a game. I'm glad for the boys I did that. I really, the boys have worked really, really hard today, and I'm proud to have put that through for them. You see how much it, how much it meant. I mean, uh, we know to kick a goal after the siren any time, but to do it in front of this crowd and they just come to you and there's so many uh, unbelievable, uh, you know, what they were doing to you, pulling you around, it must emotions, be great. Feeling, wasn't it emotions? Yeah. Look, and for the supporters too, mate. We're, gonna, we're really trying to build now. And, mate, it's, it's a difference. One kick, you know, is different between winning and losing. And, mate, the feeling is tremendous, absolutely tremendous. Two minutes to go, you were 10 points up. They kicked two quick ones and then... It felt like an eternity, that last 30 seconds, but uh, congratulations, and uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy that for a very long time, and your family will enjoy it as well. Cheers, thanks. Yeah, that was there, obviously, the moment of my career, 100%, without a doubt. That was it, without a doubt. Like, that feeling, that emotion, yeah, it's as good as it gets. I mean, aside from winning a premiership, and that's why I can sort of say, I don't think that jubilation comes even close to the fact of winning a premiership. You know, and, and I felt that was amazing. Like, that feeling was... One of the, you know the, one of the greatest experiences of my life. Yet I still don't think it'd come close to winning a premiership, part of a team. So I mean, winning the the game for the team after the siren is, is still a good feeling. But yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I can tell you I haven't felt anything like that during a football game. It's as good as it got for me. So do you look into that whole theory of that's the kick that got Dustin Martin to the club? And because obviously, had you you know if you missed <laughs> if you if you'd missed what? the shot, it would have affected. The ladder. Uh, the do you ever? Do you ever? Effect, yeah. Do you yeah, ever my look into that? Me, show me some little thing on YouTube. She shows me these things. I don't look. I, I unfortunately I don't look. Yeah, I don't look back on all that as much. It doesn't really bother me. I just yeah, football isn't quite a, a, a consuming part of my life anymore. I love it still. I did you know the first five years after I finished playing football, I, I really only just kept maybe watching watch my own mates play for Richmond. That was it. I didn't enjoy the football because I was. You know, mentally exhausted from it. You know, physically, it was just I was happy to to stay away from that environment. But obviously, I've fallen back in love with it, of what I really love about it. But yeah, that um, that butterfly effect did it happen? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, Trengrove and Scully were the two best players that year. So would Richmond picked up those one of those players have we missed? Well, maybe I don't know. But I tell you what, Richmond the down. Dustin Martin's probably one of the greatest. I'm actually going to say I reckon he'll go down as probably the top three to five greatest ever players of the game for the reason that he's the most clutch AFL player, I think, to play the game. I oh, really do. 100%, 100%. I think, I think when the push comes to shove for a, a finals game in the AFL, he will, had it proven, he will always stand up. Not maybe or, or he's, you know, three out of four games, will nearly, for every game, he's proven that he will stand up tag, whatever, he'll do what he's needed to be done. And obviously they've won three flags, he's won three Norm Smith medals. So I've got nothing but great things to say about him. He's, he's his own person, he's a good guy. So yeah, good on him.
And uh, well done to Richmond for getting him, for, for picking him up. I think that was a, a, a very, very smart pick. And good on you for kicking the goal that allowed him to take oh. the pick. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, we would have had, had picked two otherwise, so I don't know which is better. <laughs> which would have been probably Scully, I think. Uh, j- just as we're talking about Dustin Martin, you obviously did spend one season with him. He's obviously known as a, a bit of a shy reserve guy. Did you have much to do with him in that, that one and only season you spent with him? Nah, not really. No, no, no. He was obviously hanging around to the younger the younger crew a bit, you know, the, the Daniel Connors at the time and the younger guys. And I think Newman might have taken a little bit under his wing at the time as well. So, look, he was his own person. He's quite reserved. But, you know, the second he stepped out on the training track, the guy was a beast. Like, he was giving the don't argue that, you know, 18 years of age to all the players at pre-season handball games before that season's already started. So, the, the kid was as confident as confident could be. So, you know, the old Dusty don't argue, that's been there. I think that's ingrained in his football DNA, that guy. He knows he's been doing it from day dot. So even at the age of 18, that obviously he was at the time, uh, did you have any, was there any signs that he was going to be as good as he is now? No, that, no. If anyone says yes, that's their line. No one ever knows. You know, they're young. They show signs of brilliance. And there are other players who show signs of brilliance then fall away. You know, life can get in the way, distractions, things like that. So no, I, I think, you know, nobody could, you know, anticipate that he would have been as good as he was. No. And if they do, I'll tell you what, they're lying. <laughs> they don't have a crystal ball because other players have shown absolute brilliance and start a uh, career. It's just that his brilliance now, when you look back, it doesn't surprise you. You go, well, I now I know what he does. So that was, you know, phenomenal. So there are other guys who've been that brilliant, you know, similar early on that just don't obviously live up to their potential. So yeah, I, I must admit, you know, it, it was an absolute surprise that he, he became so good because you don't envisage at that early age you'd know if they're going to be that good. But he did show it. He had he had signs that yes, he could be, you know, a fantastic, you know, player. And I think he's even exceeded that. So don't get me wrong. I think I think that whatever it was that you thought he would be in year one, he's exceeded it tenfold. Absolutely. 2010 was a changing of times for Richmond because they appoint Damien Hardwick, who, as we know now, is a three-time premiership coach and led the Tigers to that incredible dynasty. But that season was your final season in the AFL, and unfortunately, you didn't play a game, and I think you were injured for a part of that season, and, and you ended up being delisted. How do you reflect yeah, yeah. on how do you reflect on that 2010 year, and was it disappointing when you knew it was all over? He's a great coach. Obviously, individuals have their moments. With coaches, he's great for the team, whatever. But uh, look, don't get me wrong. I don't know if I would want to go out. To, you know, look, I'll just let it. I'll let that. Slide. There was some. There was some things that happened that just did definitely put a put a damper on it. I guess a bit of taste in my mouth. But remember, I'm only an individual, so it was only on an individual basis. He did really good things for the team. It was just that what happened on my end was disappointing because what was said in one area then was wasn't delivered on the next. And look, it's. It, once again, it's probably my fault because I took that and then probably dropped my head and was like, well, this is crap. What am I even doing here for the last year sort of thing? So it's a tough one. I don't really want to go into it too much because it's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's been a fantastic coach, so it's really got nothing. <laughs> nothing I can say would make any difference. The fact is every individual, whenever you have a team involved, there's 44 players in every team. And of course, there's going to be some disappointed people every year that they're just told that this is the direction the club's going to go. So bad luck. And that's just the way it is. And, that's, and I must admit, Shane Tuck was one of those guys who got that same sort of chat. But, 
you know, halfway through the year proved him otherwise and said, you know, I've got to play. If you don't play me, you guys are going to be, you know, up creek without a paddle. And they did. They had to play him. He forced his way back into a side that he basically told he wouldn't be in. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I don't expect you to go into detail if you don't want to. That's not yeah. how I operate. Yeah. But I'm just sensing that you didn't have the best relationship with Damien Hardwick. Oh, well, look, it's not a big deal. He just, he just, I just remember in October that year when he just got appointed, he, he sat me down, we had our meetings and whatever, and I had St Kilda knocking on the door saying, look, we need a runner, and whether I was going to be traded over to, to St Kilda. And he said, no, absolutely, we, we need you to stay. So I, and I remember sitting in October, January came around, and he said, oh, the, the club's going a different direction, we're, gonna, we're going young, basically you're not playing. <laughs> Pretty simply like that. Right, so like, oh, okay. So, yeah, and that was where it came down. I was like, well, I put my head, you know, I dropped my head and was like, and I think Shane Tuck had a very similar chat. Basically, the club's going in a different direction here. We're going to go young, but, you know, sorry, guys. It's, it's, it's just a matter of we're going to, yeah. And they lost so many games, they had no choice to put Shane back in the midfield because they were getting smashed that year. Yeah. And, albeit, once again, like, it, it is one of those moments where you go, well, was that the right thing for the club? Well, it probably was. It's just a matter of I was, I was the individual that fell on the wrong side of it. And and it's really hard that if you don't play a game in your last year of fo- over football, ain't no club's going to pick you up. No, it's not. You're not going to get another guy. So that's just the way it is. So when you left the club, was, was there ever any interest from other clubs or did you have any interest in no, playing on? No, quite funny. Your manager asked that we put it out there to other clubs and whatever. And, and I was sort of... I think at that point, when you don't play a game in your last year, your motivation level is pretty low. And I do think other AFL clubs probably realise that. And you know what? I don't think I wanted to be playing before again. This is where it gets a bit, you know, whether I look back in hindsight and go, what's this the best thing that happened to me? My daughter was starting primary school that next year. And it was perfect. I've been back to Adelaide to check out a couple of primary schools and whatever. And she, so I was back here living full time when she started primary school to be with her as well. So... That was, she was splitting her time between half Adelaide, half Melbourne. She had to be in one place to go to school. And I knew it had to be Adelaide because my family were here as well. So it actually worked out well that I moved back the same year she started school and was able to be the right father and it worked out beautifully. So she spent all the 100% in Adelaide and not have to worry about flying back and forth. Yeah, because I guess that's uh, something that us as, I guess, supporters don't think about. We don't think about the fact that you've got families and you've got other obligations out of the game that you have to deal with. Mm. So for you, I, I would gather that would be, you know, something that comes before football, absolutely. Oh, yeah, 100%. I would, yeah, definitely, definitely. So it was, yeah, look, I'd mob, yeah, it was one of those that, look, I look back in hindsight and go, as much as disappointed you don't play a game your last year, you don't get then get an opportunity to play again AFL after that. You're like, well... Maybe it wasn't such a bad thing. I moved back to Adelaide, started a new life, and you know, and, and family life was, was fantastic, and it's been you know great ever since. So yeah, it's just one of those that you go right. It, it, it's a moment in life, it is a time that you go. I was bloody upset. Things didn't work out well. I didn't get to 150 games. I was too short. And, and you go, well, maybe it all happened for a reason. Maybe it was. I'm back in Adelaide, and and yeah, and and sort everything out, and it worked out well. So look, it's a hard one, and I think Damien Hardwick has been phenomenal for Richmond. By the way, I. Bloody hell, I think he's coached out of his skin with the young guys. He gets along really well with them. And that was the direction the club took in 2010. And I think it was absolutely the right direction they had to take. I was just the fallout effect from it. Yeah, fair cool. And, and I guess what you're saying is it took him a while and he almost got sacked. But at the end of the day, what he, the vision that he had ended up 
mm. producing the results because he made three grand finals and won three premierships. Oh, mate. Oh, hasn't he delivered? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, yeah. Well, exactly right. The, the proof's in, 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 uh, in the pudding. So, he's, man, he's proved that, uh, yeah, he, he did the right thing. He had him in the right direction. Knew it. Delivered for years and years. And I think coaches do need opportunity. I felt sorry for T because he was developing maybe a good Carlton side. And I do think he probably need a bit more time to do it. It doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, two, two uh, COVID anyway, years as well. Yeah, so it, it doesn't happen overnight. And I think that, you know, you look at that and even Goodwin as well. Look at him. He was nearly on the chopping block last year. They were really starting to question him as well. I think it was a year, last year or the year before, Goodwin, yeah, so you know, Melbourne coach. They had him on the chopping block. So... Mate, it's a ruthless sport, isn't it? <laughs> you, you know, you can go from from zero to hero, and from hero to zero pretty quickly. Yeah, it's it's a tough industry, absolutely. Jordan, just as we are about to close up now, in your entire career, who is the best player you ever played with, and why? Who's the best player you ever played against, and why? And lastly, who's the best coach you ever played under, and why? Best coach, Rodney Ede. Oh, he got the best out of me personally, so. Oh, I played the best. He, he completely changed me from going from forward wing on ball. He put me in the back line and, yeah, changed the way I played. Defend and then run off. So, yeah, he was by far the best for me. I think he was the best I played under. Close followed by Terry Wallace, of course. He was fantastic. But the best player I played against, definitely, and I keep reading, Jason Ackermanis. So, I know he went to the Bulldogs time and I sort of knew him, but I remember early 2003, I reckon, or two, 2002 I was I was having to tag <laughs> as you do, because he's quick and I generally tried to, well, they played me on fast players. So I just remember going into a ball up, you know, in the middle of the ground with him. It was just a normal ball up, not the centre bounce. And I thought I had him for two seconds and then I sort of missed him a bit. He's behind me. I thought he's not going to get the ball. All of a sudden, Michael Voss in the centre of the pack just gets this monster handball from nowhere over the back of his head. Out to Jason Ackermanis, who's got the ball now and I can't catch. And it's over. I used to lose the forward line. So he was... So tricky to stop. I couldn't stop Jay Sacramento. So for me, he was probably the hardest player to play on. And lastly, you said the best player I played with. I'd be crucifying some of them if I if I said they were the best <laughs> player. How am I supposed to go past the likes of Grant, West, Johnson, and then uh, uh, Matthew Richardson? Like they're all 300 game. Well, the, the Bulldogs guys are 300 gamers. I must admit, I'd go Chris Grant and Matthew Richardson. When I saw them both, they picked out no opposition could stop them. None of them could stop them. Well, I played with Richo in, in 08. No one could stop him. In 01 or 02, when, when I was playing with Grant, he was just unstoppable as well. They, they, you know, he was getting towards the end of his career as well. So they were probably the best two by far. Awesome answers. Jordan McMahon, it's been fantastic to have you on the show. I really do appreciate yeah. your time. And I wish you all the very best in everything you're doing now, out of football and family life. Thank you so much for your time. Cheers. Thanks, mate. And that's a wrap. Thank you to everyone for tuning into A5Q. Don't forget to spread the word, subscribe, leave a rating. Until next time.